This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Brian and Olga Dressler. It was recorded at Dressler Estate in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Dressler Estate and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Dressler Estates. I'm with Brian and Olga Dressler. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Brian and Olga, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thank you for having so us. we met at the Philly Cider Week, right? And uh, we met at the Bourse. Right. We had never met before. Um, I feel like we're about to do a magic trick. We've never met before, right? <laughs> this is so. We've never met. Loved your cider. Just absolutely, we're taken back by your cider. And since then, I mean, that was almost a year ago at this point. Yeah. We've been trying to get together. COVID hit. We'll talk a little bit about how that's affected your business um, and and just the ongoings of production and, and how that's really come about. But how did all this get started? How did Dressler Estates get started for you? Oh, well. Um, so, you know, it was back in, I think maybe 2012. Um, Olga and I, we were living in a little one-bedroom apartment on the main line, and I'm a mechanical engineer, and um, I needed a hobby. You, um, I'm mechanically inclined myself, but I did a lot of uh, 3D design at work all day. Still wanted to get that fix where I play with my hands, take stuff apart, put it back together. Um, so what I started to do was I said, hey, let's, um, let's start homebrewing. That'll be fun. <laughs> so uh, I persuaded Olga to take a uh, gallon of um, uh, juice, uh, apple juice, just from the grocery store, and we uh, just added champagne yeast and away it bubbled. Um, yeah. So when you bubbled. say you decided to homebrew, you went for cider, yes. not beer. Yeah. Yes. Now, how did that – I mean, most people, when they think about doing some stuff for homebrew, mm-hmm. they immediately gravitate towards beer. What was it about cider? Did you guys enjoy cider together before that? What was it that you knew that you wanted a homebrew cider for? I'd always been captivated by cider. Um, I thought, see, growing up in this area, um, you know, southeastern Pennsylvania, we've got crazy apple production in the state, really high-quality apples. Had these amazing um, memories of going, picking uh, apples at the orchard with my family, you know, every year around this time during harvest. Um also would make a lot of apple pies with my mom as a kid. So um, just had a real nice, you know, nostalgia for apples. But I wanted to, you know, do something fun with something that was made locally. Uh, and 
apples aplenty out here, so it was kind of a natural choice for us. Yeah. Olga, Brian comes in and says, I want a homebrew cider. I'm, I need a hobby on board. What, were, what was your response to that? I was a little nervous um, because we didn't know anybody at the time that was homebrewing, um, so we really didn't have a whole lot of like background knowledge or experience on it. Um, so I was skeptical to say the least. Um, but of course I kind of took the approach, you try it first, I'll try it next. <laughs> as long as you don't think it tastes crazy. Um, and, and don't fall over. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thoroughly surprised, um, to like it. I, you know, had obviously been drinking craft beer and we were both getting into wine, um, and we quickly, after we started cider, we, we made wine too. So it was, you know, whole thing. Um, and I was surprised that it actually tasted a lot like, um, something that I would drink on a regular basis. And it was really different from what we had experienced in the market. So, um, you know, I didn't think it was a, a great idea at first, but I quickly changed my tune and um i really got into it as well and it kind of just became this this thing it became a shared thing too because you know i was a mechanical engineering major in college um she has a bachelor's of fine arts and photography and she was employed kind of as a web designer web developer so it was kind of like a shared hobby we could have together um and something that we could grow into so that yeah. was the, the shared aspect of it was you know pretty big part of it I think. yeah and then when we got married um in 2013 we took uh, a road trip well that's a um, leap of faith because <laughs> if you guys can you know homebrew together mm-hmm. yeah chances are things are going to go well from there it was like that you I know, so. seal of approval you know if we can do this we can stay married this will work right yeah 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 i mean it is a lot you know of those challenges of of learning how to work together you you definitely yeah. get that experience um so we took this really nice uh, New England road trip. Um, we got married in October, so almost about this time of year. And, you know, we got to kind of do the leaf peeper experience, but then we were stopping. The at leaf point. peeper? Yeah. So leaf like peepers are people who travel. Is that to- a thing? Oh, yeah. yeah. I had no idea. Oh, I yeah. travel just to yeah. see the They have calendars and- that yeah. tell you the sort of like change of the leaf colors. People will travel yeah. just to see that that experience. So... Like going but it's up. just the peeper part. <laughs> Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? <laughs> well, there's also the frogs. So, um, They're Maine, frog peepers? Maine Brewing Company has a beer called Peeper, and it's a little frog. It's like a springtime thing, I okay. think. So that's, yeah. I just Fun never facts. Know, I never know what I'm going to learn. I'm and full of really weird This is good. Like no, I that. love it. I love it. So you took a – you did your honeymoon. So if I can understand, 2012 – you start doing some home brewing, a little yeah. bit of wine on the side. Yeah. And then you took a trip, a trip up to New England. To start like, to, seeing places. To see what other people are doing, yep. how the productions were set up. Exactly. Did that kind of give you that sense that we could do this as a business, seeing how others were doing it as a business? I think that's I where think the seed so. was planted, yeah. really. Yeah. What were some of the conversations, either as you were at some of these production facilities that were making cider, or even in the car? going from facility to facility, what kind of conversations were you having at the time? Well, I think also, you know, for us in the background, there was a little bit of dissatisfaction with where our careers were going. You know, I worked in three different environments post-college and 
just a little bit heavily corporatized. You know, I, I didn't feel that, you know, employees were exactly being treated the way that I would treat them, you know, if I ran the show. So, you know, I, I'd always wanted to be my own boss, um, always wanted to treat people with a little bit more, you know, respect, dignity, and autonomy, um, you know, than I experienced. So kind of in the background, you know, we thought to ourselves, what if we did this ourselves? You know, we don't want to get rich or anything, but what if we could do something that we really enjoy together and we could replace our income? So that's really, you know, where a lot of it, this yeah. concept was born. You but know? I think the conversations around um, that topic while we were on our trip kind of centered around, um, you know, picking through what the spaces looked like, what we thought we could achieve if we were going to pursue that. And everything's was from the beginning kind of like, well, we'll just take one more step and we'll see where this takes us. It was never like, you know, on a specific day we were like, okay, let's, let's get this started. We, we really just kind of snowballed into it. Really. You come back from new England. Now you're more enthused. You have a good, you have a better perspective of what you're going to do. What were some of the next steps for you? I think from that point, we sort of had like an initial idea Mm -hmm. where we thought we were going to start this as, um, a space in a city um, with like more of a commercial space, like we were thinking, we were gonna look at like garages or something like that. To like rip. more of a tap room kind of a situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We wanted a tap room, but also just like a production space that was really just like an empty box that we could, you know, retrofit and and build it out the way we wanted to. Um, and we quickly realized that the only way that that was going to be possible is if we sought um, some sort of investment money. And that was not a part of the model we wanted to take to start our business. Yeah, we were very adamant um, about 100% steering the vision ourselves. You know, I talked about, you know, seeing how some other businesses were run. And we thought immediately, well, you know, if we take on investors, you know, we're not going to have 100% control. So um, we were really big on not taking outside money. So we still retained that, you know, that vision and that direction that we wanted. So that really steered us to where we are today. Yeah. With, and there's, yeah, you know, lots of detail behind like how that came to be. But, um, it, a lot of people told us it wasn't going to be possible. Yeah, they did. Um, no, how did that affect you? <laughs> so I, it's, I'm curious because you have people, are these friends or these family, total um, strangers you meet walking around the mall? People in the industry. Yeah. We, um, we, we took some small business like mentoring type courses. Okay. And, um, you know, did some type of small business incubators, that type of thing. You know, we heard some of that there. We heard some of it from industry. Right. Um, right. Not so much from, you know, friends. They they all, they told us no. To well, as Most. long as as long as you provide them free cider, <laughs> yeah. they're yeah, all right. for it, right? Yeah, they've got an incentive there. <laughs> I th- and I think there it was a little bit of both. Some people said, you know, the product is is a great idea and it it's interesting, but you can't make it happen the way that. Mm-hmm. you're going. Um, so this idea of us, you know, building it on our own. Um, but, uh, now, so the question I have in, in my mind is, does that, did that motivate you? Did yes. that kind of get you saying if they, somebody says, <clears throat> is that your personality to say, if you tell me I can't, I'm going to do it like even better. I 200%. think the both of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the both of us were feeling as if, 
you know, we don't pursue it in some fashion and see where it takes us, we're going to wonder if mm-hmm. it was worth, you know, giving up. Yeah, what, what would have happened? What could right. have been, right? Right. Yeah. I guess the thought is, in my mind, for, for, for where you were at the time, with all these people telling you you couldn't or you shouldn't, we're also at a time, I guess, 2013, 2014, where hard cider and ciders, especially in this area, hadn't really established a foothold. Yeah. Right. So they're not really familiar with the product mm-hmm. and you're kind of communicating something to them yep. and they don't really understand the possibilities. Right. Because yeah. they're thinking what? The the ciders that are commercially produced or mm-hmm. you're going to be competing against large companies yes. and just yes. not understanding the opportunity right. that lied in a craft, that, you know, that was there in a craft product. Right. Um, so and I, I think we saw that, um, especially being fans of craft beer and understanding how that market built itself, you know, out of big yeah, home beer. brewers inside yeah. their house. People say, this is great. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Right. You know, open my small place oh, or, or providing to, you know, restaurants or bars or things with a license to do so, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that, I think, does that sound like the model that you're following right now? Are you providing your product, distributing to restaurants and bars and things? Yeah. Quite yeah. A bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that developed out of us building it in this space and, and making that decision not have a, um, a tap room initially. We definitely had to think about what our strategy of distribution was going to look like. We knew we weren't going to have customers visiting us, so we had to think about how we're going to market our product specifically to bars and restaurants or bottle shops and what are our other avenues. So we actually do... Um, farmers markets additionally, um, because that's another way for us to meet customers. Was that where you started farmers markets? No, no, not initially. No. Yeah. I think it took us maybe half a year to start. Yeah. I think like September ish was like our first farmers market and we launched in May of 2017. That was like, um, our first bottling run was May of 2017. What was the first bottling run? Like when you, <laughs> when this was actually a business, Yeah. what was that? What was the conversation like together? What was that like? What were your thoughts at that time? That, well, so if we're fast forwarding a bit from where, you know, this was just an idea to our first bottling run, um, at that point, you know, we really put all the chips on the table, if you will, you know, with the money. And at that point, you're running very low on capital. So. You, everybody said, what should we yeah. get you for your wedding? And you said, well, <laughs> we need a fermentation tank and a bottling. We need, we need bottles. We need boxes. We need, right? There's so many stories behind that in its own right. I, I think we got down to maybe three months before we were going to, before we actually did our first bottling run. And I don't even think we had an yeah. idea. I don't, yeah, I don't think we had time to think about it because we did all the work to outfit our space ourselves. So instead of thinking about like, Hey, what, what is our product even going to look like? You know, it was, uh, Hey, we're going to get the electric done is the plumbing done, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It was really a a (laughs) huge effort from friends and family to get this place off the ground. Brian has a friend that he grew up with. He used to have a contracting business. He helped, um, frame the place out. He built custom barn doors so we could get rid of the roll-up garage door. Um, and then Brian consulted with, you know, my uncle for some electric um, help. And then we actually did most of that ourselves, running the wire from the street, putting a new service. I learned how to wire, you know, a, 
um, uh, an electrical box. I learned how to wire a, a plug. A okay. Socket, okay. Good. Um, myself and uh, and then Brian put it to work. Put in these really awesome like LED lights. Like we, yeah, we I saw you wave everything. their motion sensor. You <laughs> yeah. Wave your hand at them. Yeah. I kind of regret that. But <laughs> I wish I had a switch. Not having a switch. At the beginning, <laughs> we had really different ideas about how the space was going to laid out, be laid out, and and things changed um, quickly. I think we have the ability to have two customers at a time here. Um, this obviously our space is. Um, when you say have two customers at a time, what do you mean by that? So. Our space is um, the garage on our property is converted into our production space. Uh, so this is a residential property. And um, part of getting this up off the ground, we had to get a use and occupancy permit to um, approve the use, basically. And we modeled it after other um, businesses that were approved types of businesses for this was that a difficult district. process? For oh, you yeah. To, yeah. And, and to rewind, it wasn't we actually bought this house just so we could start the business. It wasn't that we bought the house and said, Hey, let's put a business. In no, the I, this is so, I, I can see yeah. going through your mind when you talk to the real estate agent. Yeah, we yeah. need a large garage or mm-hmm. freestanding building on the back, yep. and a house, and, yep. and the property zone yeah. was key. So, yeah. usually, when you go and buy a house, you say, Hey, I'm interested in. The school district, uh, how does the backyard look, uh, that kind of stuff. You know, and, are the appliances the newest models or something And for us, like it was, that. hey, what's, what's the zoning? It was a very <laughs> weird home service. We had plan. a really amazing real estate agent. Um, yeah. She and her husband, I think, had owned um, a catering business. I thought it was a and b but... Something like that. Yeah. and But they already had business experience. She understood yeah. So there was that a rela- they could relate to that. Passion, yeah, yeah of a small business you know, run by a husband and wife team. Um, and she saw this, I guess, you know, fire inside of us. And she said, I want to make this successful. So we're going to take our time. We're going to do this the right way. Um, and she was patient with us. Um, and thankfully Brian has had a lot of amazing experience dealing with zoning and, um, permitting through, um, his work, um, in engineering, you know, he's got, a a toolbox full of interesting things. So it worked out nicely. He was able to really, you know, talk directly with like zoning officers um, or different people, you know, from the various municipalities that we looked at. Um, and it, it was kind of that changeover from looking at commercial spaces to looking at residential properties where it became a little bit more challenging. Um, but I was passionate about it. I felt like, when we realized we could take that approach, um, you know, we wanted to model our business af- in a, of a small fashion after, you know, what wineries in California and Europe look like, where it's a part of your life. You live there, you're, you know, making your product, you're running your business out of the place where you live. Um, and initially we thought we could get a property with some land, but um, we had to take some make some sacrifices and take some cuts to, to get things started. So, but we really loved the community that we ended up in. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm hearing the story and I'm, I'm listening to the journey and, and a couple of things come to mind. And, and one that keeps resonating with me is the uh, Martin Luther King quote. You don't have to see the whole staircase to take mm-hmm. the first step. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to go upstairs. Yeah. You just don't recognize and you can't see what that journey to get there is going to be. And, right. 
you seem to be adapting mm-hmm. as you move forward. Yep. But it's almost like if we all were together in a tunnel and we had one flashlight. Mm. You're kind of shining the flashlight here and then that opens up and that expands for you in the next spot and the next yeah. spot. Mm. But you know where you're going. Yeah. You're not set on what it looks like when you get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it doesn't meet that vision, you're like, okay, we're good with this. This We can make this work. This yeah. works for us. Yeah. Now we're at 2017. I guess some things for you, how did you decide, you know, who's who's supplying your, your apples, your apple juice? Mm-hmm. Um, how much... Work did how much you know product development went in for you as you developed the ciders and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. As far as the um, you know, the supplying of the apple juice, I mean, Avi, you saw out back there, it's an eighth of an acre, and currently there's like one tree that's fruiting back there, so <laughs> it's clearly not. It's going to be a huge bottling run for that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we, we don't have any um, apples that we grow here, you know, that go into our ciders and. That's something that we've actually faced a little bit of stigma in in the industry. You know, you know, some might think, you know, unless you grow it yourself, it can't be that great quality. But, you know, part of our philosophy is working with people that do a really great job of growing. Are you telling fruit. me the local breweries are making their own hops, growing their own barley? Exactly. exactly. I mean, is that what they're doing? Because if, if they're not doing it, it's not good beer? News to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And, and all the wineries that are trucking in juice from other mm-hmm. estates exactly. and things. Yeah. yeah. All right. Exactly. So, you know, our thing is we work with... People, um, it's all about the relationship. Um, you know, people are making, you know, good fruit and they really care about that fruit. We've got a good relationship with them. And then, you know, we get it and we make it into a really quality product. You know, that's awesome. And also you can get awesome fruit that you, you know, get out from elsewhere. You grow it yourself and you do a not so great job of fermenting it or even a not so great job of packaging it. And uh, the uh, you've got a link broken in that chain. So I, I think it's really about the care that goes into it and the relationships. So. We had started a, a relationship long before our first bottling day um, with yeah. an orchard. And Do you want to give a shout out to the orchard? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Kaufman's Fruit Farm. Kaufman's Fruit yeah. Farm. They're in um, Burdenham, Pennsylvania, um, only a half an hour down the road from us where we are here in Downingtown. But they're amazing people. I mean, they grow a lot of apples um you know out out that way um and they press twice a week which is pretty cool um you know they cold store um and the beautiful thing about apples is that you can keep them a lot longer than a lot of other produce so um you can keep them you know for months if you keep them at the right temperature they've got a climate control warehouse and they're able to pull out different varieties and um press um twice a week year round and they get you can get quality consistent apple juice um you know anytime and, yeah and and they've been really good to us you know back when your we home brewers we'd show up with <laughs> pails five gallon pails and we'd say hey can you please fill these up and they'd say yeah no problem i uh, remember you know, the first day amazing he called. And, <laughs> and they had to like you know discuss it yeah. and then call them back but they didn't tell us to go away. No, and, um, and they did many. They that sounds so serendipitous time. that if they yeah. Yeah. just would have hung up the phone on you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. And they're they, patient with us for years, maybe three, four years while we were feeling this out. Yeah. And, uh, they're really good people. I'd it's say. a family-run operation yeah. as well. So they're, I think, fifth generation. Um, they've been growing apples in, um, in that area for over 125 years. Yeah. So, you know, um, they 
have so much history behind, you know, the fruit that comes off the tree today. Um, and, uh, we talk, you know, with their orchard manager and he's super passionate about, you know, the health of the tree and that starting in the soil. So, you know, we really get an amazing experience to work with them, you know, from that orchard manager, even to like their wholesale team, like they're just amazing. And they've, um, been with us as we grew, like, from day one. So. It's almost as if this is an extension. So this is, you tell them the apple varieties that you're looking to produce and, and get juice from. It's almost a partnership. It's almost like that's that's your section of the, you know, the apple orchard that is designated for you. So it's almost like that you are growing your own apples. Well, the cool part is they, so what they do is they blend a variety of apples that, the, this kind of terminology has kind of been abandoned in the, in the community, but at one time it was called modern cider apples. So you've got your heritage cider apples that are these apples that, you know, um, that you would plant and really they're not good for anything else aside from making cider. They're, they're almost as hard as a potato sometimes to bite into. Um, they're bitter. They can be high in acid. There's some sugar, but for the most part, people don't really cook with them or eat them. Um, they just make exceptional ciders. Those are some of my favorite. But then you've got your sweets and your tarts um, that, you know, most people are used to snacking on, making sauce with, baking. Uh, you can still make a really good cider out of that. Um, and that's one thing that we're very passionate about is showing people that you can work with what's, you know, you know, locally and regionally available and still make an amazing product. It's really about the intentionality and the care yeah. you put into working with that. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the things that we wanted to um, bring to the table for customers is that, you know, a really exceptional dry cider made from modern apples mm -hmm. is possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was really tough in the beginning. No lies. Um, because our first product was a still cider <laughs> and it had absolutely no residual sugar. Mm, people um, weren't used to it, but yeah. we might have loved it. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that I love about the cider and craft cider. And, and Dawn and I have this conversation all the time because when you have conversations with other people about cider, it's what they're expecting cider because that's what they've had. It's, right. it's, it's very comparable and we right. talk about this all day. It's like people that walk in and, and, and try craft gin. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, more of a botanical style, new American style gin. Right. And they're like, nah, get that stuff away from me. I don't want gin because I had it and I got sick on it and I had yeah. it in college and <laughs> right. I don't want that. Right. And then the same thing is true. What you're creating and you're in the forefront of helping to build the cider industry right. to something very comparable to where, and you mentioned, you know, the wine industry was yeah. when out of the seventies and eighties, you know, if, if you, if you travel around Napa, Nobody wanted anything but sweet wines. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, no, but we have these beautiful Chardonnay grapes and, and, and the Pinot grapes and all these other things that they had been growing. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, it's dry. Mm -hmm. And they had to work at their craft. Yeah. And that's where you are, yeah. you know, and you're on, you're on top of the mountain. You're, yeah. you're, you're shouting down. We have an incredible product now that you can pair with food mm -hmm. where you would take a dry wine. Yep. Or something on the drier side and really be able to enjoy it, even, even as a nice sipping and, and, and enjoyable cider. Yeah. And that's where you are right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, um, California and, you know, what they've done, you know, with the wine scene there. And I take a lot of inspiration from Robert Mondavi. He's kind of like the godfather of American and, you know, um, like California wines, you know, that revolution that mm -hmm. we've seen. And there was just this 
persistent belief on his part. Consumer education, keep doing what you're doing, keep making a great product, and you're going to change people's minds bit by bit. And um, one thing that's really cool that we do is a lot of times we'll pour samples for people, whether that's at a restaurant, you know, where we're doing like a little just promotional event or at a farmer's market. And a lot of times people are just shocked. They say, I, I can't believe that this is from apples. I can't believe this is that this is cider. They just can't believe it. It's mm-hmm. just so different from what they expect, you know. So that's really exciting to be a part of that. So is that part of your aha moment where and, – and I always am curious. I mean, you're a couple mm-hmm. that has <laughs> taken – this out of a, I need, I need a hobby. I need something else to do. (laughs) And now the hobbies become that something, this is, this is your, I mean, what you do. Right. So have there been some aha moments along the way where you kind of just looked at each other or, you know, the hair on the back of your head stands up and it's like, wow, we are doing what we're supposed to do. I mean, we're, this is, this is, we, we've, we've arrived at a certain plateau where people get it. I mean, have there been those interactions with people or that experience that you guys have had maybe in the production room or what What, what are some of those aha moments you've had? You know what, like us doing, you know, a lot of the work ourselves, sometimes you just get so far in it that you don't do that like detachment where you kind of just take stock of where you are and it doesn't give a ton of room to have those aha moments. But then sometimes you're just sitting there like we were at, you know, our number one account, East Branch Brewing down the road. And we're just sitting there having a beer after a long bottling day. And you know, if you're bottling cider all day, you want a beer. <laughs> but uh, you know, we're just sitting there and then the cold case is behind the bar. And I just looked, you know, and I saw our bottles in there with our name on it. And it, it's almost like I had a lucid moment. And you, you're yeah. like, oh, wow, that that's my bottle and that's yep. my name on it. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's legit and... Yeah, uh, just little moments like that where it clicks for you, like, "Wow, I'm really doing yep. this." So. I remember having a similar moment. We were <laughs> having dinner with some friends at their house, and we brought um, our modern sparkling, and you know, I poured it into my glass, and I was just looking at my glass, like, "I need this." <laughs> it was really weird. It just came out of nowhere, yeah. and it just, I, I, as Brian said, it was like a lucid moment where I was like, "Wow, like we're doing this." Um, those are those are neat, and thanks for taking us into those experiences yeah. because those are personal, right? Yeah. And that that moment, like you said, you're really just focused on yeah. production. You don't have the time to remove yourself for a second, yeah, and have that out of body experience, <laughs> yeah, right. And and then you're holding, you know, it could have been anything in that glass, but it was something you made. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Dressler Estates. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that there was some conversation about creating the name. Yeah, Talk yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, um, <laughs> it, it was a whole process to get here. Like Olga was saying, at first we were looking at a commercial space. And, um, you know, just due to the capital that we had, um, we needed to change that vision a little bit as a startup. And then, you know, she got the idea, well, what if we have a space that we live on and we make it there uh, and get two things in one? Um, So that kind of framed up the estate part of it. Um, It doesn't, you might say, well, you don't, you don't grow it there. You know, it is usually that is, you know, you put a state on there when you grow. It's kind of a hit at a little bit of what we have now and then a little bit what we want our future is. So, you know, maybe 10, 15 year plan, you know, we'll have some acreage and, you We'll be doing Farmer Brian and Olga, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's 
kind of a hint is what you want. And then other than Dressler, you know, um, that's our last name. And we're, we're the whole company as of right now. And 100% of the ownership is between us two. And it's just very personal. We, we actually, like, we walked away from the name several times. And we bounced around other ones. And they just didn't sound right. right. And we just kind of... I don't want to say settled on it, but like we were very uneasy to like put our name on it. But uh, we certainly grown into it. I think yeah. you know it, and it was really, um, I think, pushed kind of into that final dis- decision spot um, when we started to really think about packaging and how we were going to actually market it out um, to our customers. Which obviously in the beginning we weren't kegging. Mm. Um, and you're kegging now. We are, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and there's a whole story behind that, too. We've got plenty of Why? What's the story behind that? Uh, uh, do not use plastic one-way kegs that have a bag in them. <laughs> the bladder in the shell was really not a great choice for us. And there are other options, and they have definitely gotten better over the years. Um, but our decision after kind of going that experimental route um, to switch to uh, stainless steel kegs was... Scary, but Why, what totally made it so scary? It. Is it's it the investment? More, more investment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. More investment, and then you're Is letting them out in the wild, and it's like, am I going to be capable of tracking them all down and bringing them back? It's a whole thing, you know, washing them. But you know, we were able to source the ones that we have now from American Keg. They're actually the last and only uh, manufacturer of kegs in America. Everything else comes from either Germany or China, and um, we elected. And it's a Potsdam, right down the road. Um, and we elected to get them made from American steel. So, you know, with my engineering background, you know, manufacturing here in this country is very important to me. It's very near and dear to me. Mm-hmm. I even actually used to work, you know, right down the road from there. So, like, you know, I've got a lot of heart for manufacturing in that particular community. But um, they've been great to work with. They I, I'd highly recommend them. Are just, it's an amazing, yeah. you know, company. And I'm glad, you know, that we can support another Pennsylvania business too so i find that to be exciting that what you do is yes you are the two only employees or the only you know two entities of your company mm-hmm. but what you mean to other businesses to kaufman's to the keg company mm-hmm. to other bars and restaurants because what you do is you still help to create jobs and opportunity for people yeah. Yeah. in your own way just out of a passion yeah. Yeah. Which Part- is cool. Partnerships are everything to us. They really are. Yeah. I mean, I I think in us starting our own business, being a small business, not having any investment money. Um, so we really like the weight of our decisions is really huge because it's, it's up to us. It's not up to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I think is what makes the small business community so tight too, because you are working with other producers that have that same passion and they want to support you as much as you want to support them. And, um, we've really built amazing relationships in, I can't believe it's only been three years, but in the past three years of business, um, because it was a long ride before we got that first bottle. Well, last three years, but in the last six months, you've had the impact of COVID. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how has that affected your business and, and what's been going on for you? You know what? It hasn't been awesome, but it hasn't been awful. You know, um, we try and just take it, you know, one day at a time, do the best you can. 
just you like know, everything else. Just like just like everything else, whether this wasn't even happening, you know. Um, trying to keep a positive outlook there, you know. We did have to pivot pretty hard and try and go do a little bit more direct to consumer sales, which before yeah. were just farmers markets. Um, initially, when this started in you know March, April, um, we we started doing. Uh, pickups here, you know, in Downingtown. Which then, was the first time yeah, since never done we, that. Yeah. you know, bottled our first product. We we always resisted it a little bit. Um, we wanted Having to, the consumer come and pick it yeah, up. Yeah, we wanted to keep a low profile, you know. And I be mean, super respectful yeah. to our neighbors. Um, it's actually one of Downingtown's, you know, like signature things. Uh, it's the good neighborhood. Um, good neighbor community is what they call it. Right. Like and you're bringing bottles of cider. You make a better neighborhood. <laughs> exactly. So I can't right. see how that's a detriment at all. Exactly. <laughs> but we, you know, we had this fear initially that, you know, if we open this up to customers coming, you know, it would just be stream of people. The neighbors would be annoyed. You know, we didn't want to be that. You know, and then it might break our privacy too. Yeah. Um, but do live yeah, now people know where you are. It's like. <laughs> You know, I, I need to, I need a refill. Yeah. Right? But after three years of business, like we realized that our customers have the same mentality that yeah. we do. Yeah. So they're everybody that we have, you know, encountered throughout our time has been like super respectful, really yeah. excited, um, and amazing. So, you know, it's, it's actually been cool to yeah. open. It sounds like, you know, the impact of COVID has doors. helped get over some sort of, yeah. yeah. You know, per, per per you know blocks that you might have yes. had yeah. to think that this isn't something yeah. we could have done. Yeah, now, certainly. as you said, it pivoted yeah. for your business, mm-hmm. and you can now do this. Yeah, and maybe even you know expand on it and allow you know people to come by and yeah. and, and be more you know open to having that happen. Exactly. Yeah, it's been great. You know, we've had uh, a lot of pickups here. We started doing deliveries basically like everywhere between here and Philadelphia. You know. Um, we do that, you know, we finally, after years of just like kicking around the idea, we partnered with Vino Shipper. Um, so now through their platform, we're able to ship to 40 different states, which is really cool. We bought a bunch of um, shippers, pulp shippers and boxes and every count you can imagine, <laughs> like 1 through 12. So yeah. we're ready to ship them off when, you know, people... Now, how has that how has that been for you? I mean, what's it with the Vino Shipper when you start doing that? It's an amazing platform. It's an amazing amazing platform. It's really seamless. Yeah, you know? low yeah. impact for us as business owners. Yeah. And look at all the people you're exposed to, yeah. and especially now mm-hmm. that look, you start to yeah. get more national recognition, yeah. and there's a way that you can get that to their doorstep. Exactly. Yeah. I would never have wanted to consider the idea of advertising our product in places like a magazine if our customers couldn't get our product yeah. outside of Pennsylvania. It wouldn't make sense. So, you know, I think that's going to change sort of our strategy in the next year on how we um, market ourselves because that might actually be something worth doing. So two things to come out of COVID for you. Number one, having people come on site to pick up. Mm-hmm. And number two, now you have a, more of a national distribution. Yeah. These are things that you really wouldn't have focused on at all, mm-hmm. most likely, right. had you not been forced yeah. to look at your business forced model. Forced to innovate. Yeah. And, and now, I think it's catapulted you even farther, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's talk cider. Yeah. I mean, we have been talking the process of getting here, yeah. but let's work and taste some some of your cider if that's yes. okay, and yeah. introduce some of those forty states that you ship to, and, and get them ordering some cider. I dig I it. I like it. Okay. Wow. I, I got 
there are now five bottles on the table. Um, so, so talk a little bit about the bottles that you brought out. Sure. Um, so we have three of the five bottles um, are our flagships. So we have Modern Still, Modern Sparkling, and King in Arms. Um, those are sort of like um, our introduction to like our cider making philosophy. Um, those all use my, modern um, cider apples as their base. Um, and it's sort of like our way to showcase um, to our customers how production methods can really change the way you perceive um now, when you say production methods and how they change, what, what does that entail? Um, so, the difference between the three, the modern still, a completely uncarbonated cider, um, fermented to dryness and bottled. Uh, modern sparkling is then um, that base, uh, back sweetened with fresh juice and bottled and allowed to um, bottle condition or carbonate um, through that last little bit of touch fermentation. Touch of fresh yeast as well. Right. Um, Did you eat fresh, fresh or French? <clears throat> fresh. Okay. <laughs> well, it's a champagne yeast, so fresh French yeast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that allows it to do that secondary fermentation in the bottle um, and get those uh, that natural carbonation. And then uh, King in Arms is the base um, aged with toasted French oak chips. So you can sort of see um, the difference in how a base blend can change um, when you either bottle condition it or age it with oak. Um, and they're really different. Sometimes people say, well, modern still and modern sparkling, one's carbonated and the other isn't. And it's like, no, there's definitely something that changes in the Well, you have the program. fermentation process mm-hmm. exactly. in the bottle. Exactly. Right? And you take all yeah. the residual sugars that are left and that's going to come up with a whole new flavor profile, right? right? And that's a great educational opportunity mm-hmm. for customers because then we can say, like, try them. See for yourself how that flavor profile is different. Um, and I think people are generally surprised and excited. Um, and then uh, King in Arms is, you know, aged with that French oak. Um, we do uh, oak chips, so it's a ton of surface area instead of barrel. Um we did start it as an experiment in a barrel the fir- very first time we ever made it. Um, we weren't even sure that we were going to add it to our lineup, um, but... It was well-received, yeah, and you guys liked it. Yeah, um, so we had to figure out quickly, um, with our production space being 260 square feet, because it's really just a one-car garage turned into a cidery, um, we had to figure out how we could make King and Arms year-round when we didn't have enough space for you know, more than one or two barrels. So, um, you know, we worked with the same company that supplies us with our yeast. Um, they do, um, oak additives. Um, so they have chips and, um, spirals and cubes and things like that. Um, and we did some experiments, found that perfect flavor profile that matched up with the first batch. Now it may be a secret, but do you do the chips in your fermentation process? No, we do post fermentation. Okay. Yeah. Um, no secrets no, here. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's what kind of yeast you're using yeah. or yeah. there's, you got, you got like a little thing that you do that nobody else is doing. You don't want to yeah. tell anybody what you're doing. That's fair. That's fair. No, we, um, it works for us just in how, um, our production process goes. Um, we like to ferment our base and our base blend. So that's, um, the fruit that we get from Kaufman's Press 
we ferment that out to dryness, and that becomes modern still, but that's also the base for King and Arms and for modern sparkling. All right, there are two more, but let's keep those a secret. <laughs> and Brian, you're really hugging this bottle. Yeah, modern still. Um, I've had it in the refrigerator to get it chilled, but it's really delicate. If you get it too cold, some of those flavors will close up, so I'm... Um, Warming it gently. Okay. With That's hand. one of the ciders. Yeah, it's always good to take it out a few minutes. You, you can't see this, it. but it looks like Brian is <laughs> holding a football, like, <laughs> and, and it's just like he's not letting it go. Like, exactly. He's now a running back, and he's going to score, and nobody's stripping the ball from him. Well, now that I've given this enough gentle love, we'll uh, we'll pop it open. I'm hoping it's not going to be too cold. If not, you can just kind of let it sit in the glass and. Let those aromatics open up a little bit. Now, this was the first cider that you produced, right? Yeah. Yes. And I guess through the whole process, you had experimented with with what you were doing. How did this one come about? There were a couple of um, decision factors uh, that led us to start with Modern Still. Um, we obviously made ciders with a few different yeasts. Um, most of them bottle conditioned and we did do some still ciders, um, you know, before we launched, you know, as a company, um, when we were still sort of like in our homebrew days, um, we wanted to package our cider similar to wine. Um, so initially we bottled in 750 milliliter bottles and, um, we wanted to use a cork. Um, and I do still think ciders with, you know, packaged with corks are really excellent. But for our customers, a lot of times it's just easier to deal with the crown cap. Okay. (laughs) Um, But uh, we were really thinking about our bar and restaurant customers and it's a hard sell for a carbonated product. You know, they're going to have a 750 milliliter bottle. Maybe they're opening it Friday at 5 PM for a customer and, um, you know, or even a Sunday and they're not open again until Wednesday or something like that. And it's going to sit and it's going to lose all of its carbonation probably in 24 hours. Um, and that's going to be waste for them. So we thought, you know, if we market a still product, that's going to be easier for them to manage from their side of the house. Um, and then also it has a closer connection with white wine. So we can talk to them on terms that they're already familiar with. So that I think drove a lot of that decision. And then the conversations that we had were in that direction to get started. Um, because it was the one and only cider we had for eight months. (laughs) The conversation about the experience, because you talk about how this compares to wine, and or how you want people to have a different perspective than not that cider experience that you're used to. The first thing is as far as the nose and the aroma that you get on this cider, the, right after you poured it, Brian, the first thing I got and the first feeling I, I received was, you, you know, when you go to that orchard and you take, you take the tractor ride out mm-hmm. to the fields mm-hmm. and you have, you just picked everything and you've got the apples, you're, you know, you got your, ba- your baskets with apples mm-hmm. I had this memory and I could hear the tractor and just going through the fields right now and just having this apple smell in the air. And that's really the first that I, I received. And then it, it it sits there and you get this sweetness, almost like a, a sweet berry, berry nose to it. Um, not necessarily a little bit over a strawberry, but just like a berryness to it, a sweetness. 
And then it almost starts to become like a, a, a grape, a greatness, like a wine on the nose. Mm-hmm. So there's a nice transition that you can enjoy as you experience this. It's not just, you know, drinking and then putting it down and that's it. Mm-hmm. There's a whole experience you can have with this. And that was really Absolutely. nice. I'm glad I'm glad you got that. I mean, that's that's something we're really big on is letting the apple character shine through. And that really just comes back to that philosophy, just respect the fruit. You know what I mean? We, we try and just be, you know, gentle stewards of you know what that fruit is and what it can give you and just try and let that translate you know really through to the glass and then you know your palate in the end so i'm happy it worked <laughs> okay good. it worked and i had no notes it wasn't like hey we don't we don't know each other right now just so as um as you're talking there the you it's a dry still mm-hmm. right but it doesn't it's not it's it's a sweetness on the palate first, mm-hmm. and then a dryness in the finish. And I think as you explain that, again in that vernacular of wine, people mm-hmm. think, well, it's going to be dry all the way through. Yeah. But you do get this initial sweetness. Yeah. The dryness comes through almost as if the tannins from grape grapes come through, or even a little bit of what would be considered some oakiness mm-hmm. that would would dry out on the back of the palate. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the cool thing is, there's actually no sugar in. Uh, actually any of the flagship products it's all zero grams of sugar but it doesn't come through that way your brain you know it picks up on different flavor profiles and aromas yeah. and it associates them you know with sugar so there's a perceived sweetness but there's actually no sugar there pretty yeah. wild so yeah yeah i mean so if you start to think about this again you know there's that idea of pairing this with cheese mm-hmm. Um, but even this stands on its own. I mean, you can do pizza with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do a lot of things. I mean, what are your sense of, of, of pairings when you talk to people with this? Oh, I love pairing and recommending people pair modern still with seafood. We love pairing it with yeah. like pan-seared scallops. Oh, it's yeah. our favorite. Okay. <laughs> um, because it has a big punch of acidity. A little bit um, of a minerality too, which yeah. kind of yeah. plays off. No, you're of, right. You know those yeah. those type of you know the salinity you get in mm-hmm. seafood. You know, or like spicy dishes are really fun contrasts uh, to play with um, as a pairing for modern still. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, I recommend sometimes like Thai is a good option for people. Yeah. Um, but I like to like you know always hear what people pair with because I love. To see, like, experimentation, too. Yeah, that's almost like putting it out, I mean, in the days of social media, where we are today, mm-hmm. you almost want to get that feedback, right? Yeah. Hey, I had this. How did you pair it? What did you do with it? How did you, how did you enjoy it, right? Yeah. So now we've had the still. The next one we have is which? Well, let's do the modern sparkling. Yeah. Okay, we'll do the modern sparkling. And go from there. That was that was del- and again, this was our experience when we first, we, we had not heard of you a year ago, and... Our first experience was, wow, these are really, really good. And you were in a room, I think we were at the Boris, mm-hmm. and there were about 10 cideries there. I think so, yeah. And each with their own different um, presentation on cider. Yeah. But yours just was fresh, and it was it was innovative, and it really stood out. And that was one of the conversations that Dawn and I had that we really enjoyed. Not only, uh, to be honest with you, not just your cider. But meeting with you both, well, you. And, and I think that's that's one of the values that you get when you meet yeah. the the producers, yeah. and and this is your baby, and yeah, yeah. We we can remember putting that one in the bottle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I and that's you know that format is really similar to how 
our farmers markets are. And I love having that opportunity to really, um, you know, talk with customers or not customers. If it's just an educational opportunity, sometimes, um, it's, it, you know, I just like the format a lot, um, because it gives you that time to talk to people. On the nose again, I get the same nose from Brian's hurrying Olga. It's like, come on, finish what's in the glass. Um, you get the same nose on this, but I also feel like it's a little lighter on the nose because I guess the um, the effervescence kind of draws mm-hmm. more uh, an air to it, right? Yeah, I think it it um, sort of changes the way that the aromatics are perceived because you're also introducing the yeast does stay behind in the bottle, so you're introducing that sort of bready, um, almost like brioche type of notes in um, where. It, you know, the yeast is kind of introducing that. Yeah. I'm smiling because as you're saying that, that's what starts to come about. Mm-hmm. That in the initial, you get the, now the now the bubbles are starting to do what they, they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're being released for the first time. But then as it, it kind of sits at, it sits down a little bit, you do get that yeast, the breadiness in the yeah. nose. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of like a nuttiness, almost like a toasted almond as well. And that's, you know, 100% the in-bottle fermentation with yeah. the yeast. Um but then also, you know, check out the, you know, the quality of the bubbles. They're finer than as if you force carbonate, almost like a creamier, smaller bubble. Um, mm-hmm. It's really hard to put into words, but... No, you just lovely. did. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a pretty low um, carbonation level, too. Um, so it's almost more like a pet nat. Um, that's how we kind of like to describe it. It's like a pet nat cider. Um, so... Um, that being where if we talk about like a scale of a still product to a champagne, that's the highest carbonation level. This sort of sits like in the middle um, when we talk about like that sort of difference of carbonation. The level. carbonation doesn't take over. Yep. That's not yeah. it's what not you experience. Exactly. Yeah. It just lends to the experience on the palate. Mm-hmm. And I think it's almost a vehicle Yes. to... To create that experience that you're having. Yeah. The, the carbonation is taking that still, but also, as you pointed out, you also have yeast fermentation in the bottle. Mm-hmm. You don't get a lot of yeasty <clears throat> flavor here, mm-hmm. so it's and, but you do get a little bit more residual sugar, I think, than you did with your with your still. Yeah. So it's a little bit sweeter, Yeah. but nothing really dr- drastically different than what we just had. Right. This again, I mean, this was our, now I'm remembering our experience we just had a year ago <laughs> and, and, and just how much we really enjoyed your ciders. Yeah. So I don't know why it took us this long to get here, but I'm going to blame you guys for doing that. No, please do. <laughs> I'm off with email. <laughs> I totally own that. <laughs> no, nah, but this is, this is delicious. And, you know, I, I listened to you explain, especially as you talk about the structure. I mean, I can hear your engineering background come through. <laughs> is that why... Doing home brewing, is that why it translated well for you and you were comfortable? Yeah. I think so. You know, I I did a lot of product development, um, you know, when I was in the engineering world. But then there was also a lot of – so, you know, I was a design engineer, but then also I was a manufacturing and a process engineer. So that means you're circling back after it's designed. You're making sure, like, well, how did we do with the production? Did, did we do it as well as we could have? Uh, what can we do better? You know, what went wrong? How do we fix that? And I feel like I bring a lot of that process, oh, yeah. you know, to our product. So we really try and are always just refining it with every batch. And oh, then, yeah. You know, Olga being the artist, you know, 
she brings a lot of that creativity to the table. So quite the the perfect marriage, literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> I really get a sense of that. I mean, the the craft side for both of you, mm-hmm. the the detail side, and just the passion that you're bringing together. And this comes very naturally for you. So it's like two people meet, and this is a a, a great vehicle for you to just just share what you do with the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been an amazing experience. It has you know. Been. Because we got married right before we started a business, which is kind of crazy. And then um, we didn't really touch on it too much earlier, but Brian made that decision to leave his job permanently. Um, I think it was on our our third anniversary. That's where we got the funds to start this. I literally quit my comfortable engineering job, cashed out my 401k. And, you know, like I said earlier, like... Why didn't you just call this 401k estates? I seriously... <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was like our, you know, our our figurative, um, you know, all-in moment where you're pu- pushing all your chips into the center of the table yeah. if you're yeah. playing poker, that kind of thing. We're just like, you know what? Yeah. We're only doing this once, you know, like... I, I don't want to look back and yeah. think, oh, what if, what if I had done yeah. that, you know, so... But it obviously puts a lot of stress into the situation yeah. and it was a test for us to yeah. learn how to deal with all that. And each you know? other. <laughs> yeah. Like being still pretty. And I'm sure hard. there are times like you're right. human. Yeah. yeah. You are right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think so. But realistically, there, you're like you said, you've got a 200 square foot production space. Yeah. There are going to be times when one of you looks at each other and says, I need some space. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Bottling days, uh, it can feel like you're literally in a submarine. It can be very tight. You've got a bottling machine that I built, you know, engineering thing coming in. But, uh, you know, we built a little bottling, you know, stand and, you know, we've got the different processes and it can be very tight, you know, and you're bumping into each other and you're wet and you're probably, your back probably cold hurts. And and cold and all the things. All the yeah. things, but you, you know, you, you dig in, you know, so that's what's important. Yeah. And then, you know, Brian goes back and he says, well, how can we make it more efficient? Yeah. How can we make it easier? You do a lot of that too, so. Yeah, because yeah. I think that you built You guys that. are awesome together. <laughs> I, and, and one of the things that we've, you know, Dawn and I had shared, and we get to see these partnerships. Um, and, um, you know, with Hale and True in Philly, um, yeah. that's, that's husband and wife. And, yeah. um Jeff and Terry at um, Liquid Alchemy. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. You know, we, you get to see these couple partnerships, mm-hmm. and it's just it's 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 a hobby, yes, but it's almost an, it, it, it's almost that love that you share for one another. It's the continuation of that, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah for sure. That's awesome. I mean, I didn't mean to kind of get on you about that. I don't, I don't, like, oh <laughs> no. my god, really? No, no, I mean, I think no. That we tell anybody that it's true. It we really have is. to, you know, really overcome a lot of those stress communication challenges mm-hmm. as a part of this. And you could say that that would have been a make or break experience. And we learned to overcome it. And honestly, I think it. It put us in a better position in our marriage and in our business. Yeah. Um, you know, Brian likes to tell this sort of story. <laughs> There's plenty of other people that are, you know, have partnerships in business and, you know, it's 
the two partners in business, they go home, they have their Well, that's exactly what I was just thinking. They're not, you know, sitting in bed like we are like, oh, did we do this? What else do we have to do? Oh, yeah. This got messed up. If you you and I, you know, um, had a business together, you know, you'd go home, do your thing, I'd do mine, but then... You know, you're literally sometimes you're you're you bad. get that time apart. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, but if you got two partners that are married, you know, one of them's staring at the ceiling trying to go to sleep, and the other one says, "Oh, hey, did you th- do this thing?" And you're just like, "Oh my god, will you please just shut up." <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta you gotta modulate that. Yeah, you know what I mean, so. we had to learn, you know, because it really we don't have any off button for this. Um, no, because, because it's, we live it's there. Yeah, it's we, on the estate. Yeah. yeah. So, did you water the tree? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it has its advantages and its its drawbacks at the same time. Um, but I wouldn't have it any other. You way. guys were yeah. made for. I, I think it, you know you have to be made for this. Yeah. yeah, you have to be. You have to have a good nature. You have to have a personality. I think it. I was seeking this too. You know, because I um, have always kind of like wandered aimlessly trying to figure out how to apply my skills. So, you know, Brian talks a lot about his engineering background and I studied photography, um, didn't end up in that field. Um, I ended up as sort of like a junior web developer initially, and I've transitioned into, um, user experience role, um, all sort of related, you know, creative, um, creative thinking, like applying, all that stuff. I work with designers. I work with researchers all day. Um, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do with it. And then we started exploring the idea of starting a business. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can apply all of these things to, to my business. And I got really excited about it. It was the first time I actually felt like I wanted to do it. Not just, I was kind of just happening into something. Um, so that kind of pushed me and I really started to like pursue it rather than just letting it happen. And I think like we talked a little bit earlier about like, it's, it was a snowball. We were kind of just taking it one step at a time, but when it finally clicked for me, I was all in. Mm. Um, so, you know, I built <laughs> our website. Um, I designed our labels. Um, and it's dresslerestates.com. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Pretty yeah. easy to remember. Yeah. <laughs> Is it with an S or it's singular? It's Dressler singular. State. Dressler com. State. Mm-hmm. Dot com. All, right. Mm-hmm. All right, and if you want Vino Shipper, you just look up Dressler State. Yep, we do have a link to that directly yeah. from our website, mm-hmm. um, and we also do um, our local farmers markets and, like Brian said, pickups and deliveries. So those are and then also available. Social media is just as easy, just for all three: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Dressler State. That's yeah. it. So yeah. one of the things that I I get on this nose is just. Nice oaky, you get yeah. the oakiness to it. Yeah, but it's almost, almost like, like if you just opened up an oaked chardonnay. Yeah, yes. I really get that. Yes. Yeah, this is the king in arms. Um, but yeah, that's exactly it. You know, um, same oak profile um, yeah. is used uh, for chardonnay. So French oak is uh, very typical for. How long are you, how long is the oak staying with the? We juice? just do four weeks. Okay, yeah. we just do four weeks. But it's it does, like I mentioned earlier, have a lot of contact area, so the surface area because it's chips, um, yeah. it has more exposure to it. So we get away with doing a much shorter yeah. contact time. And um, then our yeah. tasting notes actually on the bottle are cedar, crisp apple, vanilla, spice is the flavor profiles that you'll pick up on the palate. Ones that we did not include on the label is um, 
keep an eye out for like the citrus and a very faint, almost toasted coconut type of profile to come across. So I get it. Mm-hmm. Everything you just said, you introduced that. I, and I always say this. It's not yeah. that power of suggestion. Mm-hmm. It's pointing out what's there yeah. so you can now recognize it. Yeah. If it wasn't there, I would tell you. Yeah, please, yeah. If you don't get it, just be like, I don't get that. <laughs> but I almost feel like, yeah. you know, it's, it's almost like for me, and the thought I had was, when, when somebody's cutting down a tree mm-hmm. and you get the smell of the wood chipper, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of, there's there's just that nice, yeah. fall, Freshness. crisp, yeah. mm-hmm. somebody just chopped down a tree yeah. aspect to it. Too. Yeah. 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 And then if you can imagine the, the past three bottles that we tasted, the modern still, then the modern sparkling, the king in arms, they're all essentially start their life as the modern still, but then they kind of diverge a little bit with modern sparkling and king in arms. But it shows you how you can have really variety of flavor profiles from the same ingredients. You just alter the process a little bit yeah. and you can get some really cool results. This is delicious. And, and I think this is the one that as we try, you brought two as I remember. Probably. And this was the one I said, wow. Yeah. And I think then you, we were waking our way around and you guys closed up and left. I'm like, oh, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> That was a long week. I think the Borst was oh, the final event for yeah. Philly Cider it was. Week. It was. it was. That was a really cool event. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a beautiful space. Yeah. I remember, you know, being in that building when I was a kid and just like seeing how they've transformed it. See, when you it's were wild. a kid, it was a little bit different than when I was a kid. <laughs> That's fair. But it's transformed. Even It's more, so much better. Sure. It's probably yeah. so much like better. three different yeah. lives from when you were a kid to when you were a kid and then now. Yeah. You know, He's yeah. calling you old. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. What do you got? Two nice. others that are two yeah. others that are lurking. We kind of teased them out. What yeah. are the other two? Um, we've got the Golden Rose that is our kind of like our spring summer seasonal cider. That one is co fermented with a pound of fresh strawberries per gallon. That one's a lot of fun. And then we have the Origin Manor, which um, is actually produced from Heritage Apples at a hilltop. Orchard, um, right down the road, we actually manage that one. That one is very special to us. Um, and then we've got kind of like a, I don't want to say secret, but experimental unreleased one. I've got chilling in the freezer over there, and we'll pop that one out, you know, when we finish. So um, we can get at them. Let me just... Yeah. I think this is a lot faster than you normally go through, right? <laughs> well, I'm splitting these 500 million bottles four ways, so right. I'm like... Actually, you're doing, a really, you to you're, doing it, a really, so. you're doing a really good job. <laughs> this you. is nice. You know, if one of the things that really comes out of this, and I say this a lot, but this is part of for Dawn and I. This is part of our fermented adventure. Mm-hmm. We're in your house. Yeah, we're almost just sitting around a table. We are. We're sitting around a table. <laughs> this is the kitchen. Right. So this yeah. is the kitchen. The kitchen. <laughs> but it's almost like sitting down with you guys. Is like it's almost like hanging out with old friends. Mm-hmm. But you've got this wonderful product to just talk about and enjoy like you said hey i'm drinking my stuff i, yeah. I need this <laughs> yeah and, and we're here and you made yeah. this yeah 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 this is wonderful it's an adventure yeah it's this so this one's the golden rose um i can oh, strawberries yep. all day yep. i can smell this all day oh yep. my gosh yeah last year was the first time we made it um yeah. so this is our second um, go around at making the golden rosé. Um, so totally fresh strawberries go into it and you get all of it on the yeah. nose and in... This does not taste like cider. 
I know. (laughs) Though we've had some of our our regular um, customers tried this and they said it's almost as if you can taste the apple more. Um, Like they get a ton of strawberry, but like at the Mm -hmm. end, they said like it it almost pops a little bit more than some of our others. And, you know, we definitely take more of the winemaker's approach to those flagships that we had first. Um, So this was really just like an experiment. This one was born from, you know, a lot of people asked us, will you... Will you make a fruited cider? Will you make a, you know, will you make a sweet cider? And I was like, no way, never. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Apple only all the way. And then, like, finally, you know, we asked ourselves the question, well, if we did it, what would it look like? So it was a very small batch, like 40 gallons. And our thing was, if we're going to do it, we're not just going to do it just to do it. You know, we, we want to be very intentional, like with our other products. So, you know, we don't use purees here. Uh, we don't use flavorings that actually... It literally starts with the same blend of apple juice that we get in from Kaufman's. And then what we will do is we will literally crush a pound of strawberries per gallon of apple juice. And if you ever want to see what mashing uh, 250 pounds of strawberries looks like, it's a lot of work. So I, I can only imagine the delivery and what that... What you, but you also... Are you, are you um, hauling the strawberries? We so, are. So, so you're also taking the stems we're, off. We're taking we're taking the leaves off. We're taking some of that. You know, I don't know the right the hulling process. Yeah, yeah. Hull, so you're the taking white out of the center. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. mean, that's not just like dumping a bunch of strawberries. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It takes a, you're like, every strawberry you're touching every strawberry yeah. literally. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, and then we'll just gently, um, you know, kind of crush them, macerate them, and then it all goes in the same tank, and they all ferment together. Um, so, you know, you can have, you could ferment the strawberry separate and the apple separate and then blend it later. We do it all from the start. So they all ferment together. So, um, I think what that does for you is you get the sugars in the, in the strawberries. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be part of the fermentation process mm-hmm. as well. So you already have more sugar introduced to the yeast for, for the yeast yeah. to do its thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. And then at the end, you know, we just put just a touch of sugar and by touch, I mean like. 15 grams per liter, so in this 500 milliliter bottle, seven and a half grams. It's not a lot at all. It's not really, I, I yeah. love sweet, and this yeah. is not like overly sweet. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, at, at first I was like, I'll never put sugar, you know, do a sweet cider, but then I, I kind of, I tasted it, this, you know, dry. We ferment to dryness, and it's much easier to store a dry, you know, product in bulk than something with sugar in it, because then that's just food for something that you don't want to eat it. So, um... You know, we, we did some bench trials and we tasted it completely dry and then back sweetened up to this amount. And it's all, it, I kind of liken it to almost like just putting a little bit of salt on a steak and somehow the salt on the steak makes the steak taste a little bit more like steak. You know, the sugar, you know, when done in a respectful amount, it actually makes the strawberry aroma pop just a little bit more. Um, so, you know, that that's really it, you know, um, that, that's our take on a fruited, slightly sweet cider. <laughs> and if you want to, and, and, and what's going through my mind too, this is just, you know, sitting out back yeah. on a, on a warm summer day, yeah. taking this to the beach, just hanging out, but you could make a sangria out of this. Oh yeah. Oh, I was yeah. just thinking strawberries yeah. in here. Like, and you, you're yeah. saying, oh yeah, like you've done that already. Um, like, our, our favorite brewery, uh, by far East Branch Brewing, um, right down the street from us, uh, they carry our, our lineup of ciders there for their customers. Um, but they do a lot of experimentation with cocktails um, mm-hmm. with our ciders, and they have made some lovely drinks with the Golden Rosé this year. See, that's the thing. Yeah. this You don't start to think 
about the possibilities, mm-hmm. but when you start to explore them, you can make a cocktail out of this. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just as you would, you know, this could make a nice uh, brunch mimosa. Yeah. This would be awesome. Yeah. yeah certainly. Well, kudos to you guys. Um, I, I know that you'd like to hire somebody to start hauling strawberries so you don't have to do that. So this is only spring. So right now you have a limited amount, a limited supply, or you're not even selling this anymore? Um, we're getting towards the end of it. Um, yeah. It certainly is going to start to probably be gone at the end of October. And it better be because I've got some fun stuff I want to release in October. So okay. I want that to be gone so yeah. people are buying you yeah. know, our, our other... Is one of the fun things the experimental we're going to try, or is there something else? There's like a couple. There's there's a couple. We're a little bit we've got a little bit of a backlog. Got, All right. Got to get so there's some secrets stuff. you won't even talk about today. I know I'll talk about them. I, oh. just, need, I just need people to <laughs> buy some other stuff. <laughs> yeah. So what we're doing today is we're putting the onus on the consumer. Yes. Get out and buy local cider. Right. <laughs> to release the other things that you're working on. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the other fun seasonal so. That golden rosé being our spring summer seasonal, um, we uh, that's one of the items in the backlog, if you will. Um, it's not in bottle yet, but our outpost is a spin on a New England style cider. Okay, now so when you say New England, so we now we get like into the nuances, like yeah. what's what's an what's an IPA, you know, New England style IPA versus right. a Western style IPA, right, right? right? So what what makes it a New England style? Um, usually I'll say that sort of the rules are that it is got the addition of brown sugar. Um, most of the time raisins, um, we don't really include. So they're putting raisins in a New England style cider. It's Uh, actually like an old, you know, colonial era recipe. So the colonists here and the, see, this is why I love doing this. Yeah. I had no idea. They yeah. used to, you know. There's people probably like yelling at their radio right now, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, holy. How do you not know that? Shout like out. everybody knows that. I'm like, I don't know that. Shout out to cider historian Mark Turdeau. He'll tell you all about it. Good friend of ours. Okay, and is he up in New England? No, no he's, he's, he's here. He's, he's cur- here. He's the curator of the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia, and he. But he is a he huge. Is like, the um, cider. cider history master, basically. Yeah. He's the sensei. So. Yeah. So he's... Good friend of ours. Just got awesome. a ton of research under his belt on historical recipes for yeah. what people were doing with cider um, and all of its various, like, permutations um, in colonial times. Yeah. Um, so... But they used to add sugar to it to up the gravity. Um, you know, sugar for yeast equals more alcohol. Um, so they would add sugar to it and sometimes some raisins, sometimes a couple, you know, they didn't have tea bags back then, I guess it was just tea leaves and then they'd age it in a, probably a rum barrel. So really what we did, we, uh, we add brown sugar, enough brown sugar to the juice, you know, prior to fermentation so that when it ferments out to dryness, it's like, uh, like 10% ABV, so it's a kind of like a winter sipper. And then um, it, it is boozy. And then we let it age in a whiskey barrel from uh, Man- our friends over at Manitoni Stillworks. And um, it just exchanges those flavors over you know, the winter and summer. We started in the and, spring, and then it goes the yeah. whole year. So it's got that time. The heat allows it to exchange you know, the cider into the wood and then take those flavors back out. Um, and then by the end of the year, 
any of that harshness of, Mm -hmm. you know, that high alcohol can really have like a bite to it. Mm -hmm. It takes that time throughout the year and it really softens and it's just amazing. It has a like deep amber color. It's really pretty. So this, um, in your glass. Yeah. After all that, that's not what we're drinking. (laughs) Um, I wish but I had we, some. we really love Alpro, so we su- it was. By the way, another. Yeah, would you like to drive the Ferrari? Because <laughs> it's not here. <laughs> this is this cider in your glass, though, is, is really special in its own right. So Brian, this smells like applesauce, I love the <laughs> and it also smells like um, hot cinnamon apple mm, oatmeal. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's this what I get. Has from that. way more like. Interesting, I would say, not not typical sort of aromatics and, and flavors. So um, the blend for this is got a mix of um, cider-specific varieties. So this orchard has... Um, Liberty, <clears throat> quite a good bit of Liberty, Wine Sap, and Gold Rush. And then a bit of Golden Russet, Dabinet, Harrison, some Hughes Crab. Some Wixen. of our personal favorites. So there's a Wixen. lot of apples yeah. in here right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. About wow. eight, eight or nine, yeah. depending on how the harvest goes each year. Um, and the blend from Kaufman's uh, can be up to 11 varieties as well. So, you know, a, a good... There's, I think, some differing opinions on whether, you know, single varietal ciders um, are successful. I think they can be. For sure, um, but I I think generally everybody agrees that a, a good blend mm-hmm. makes a great base for a cider. There is so much going on here. I mean, you get this sweetness, and then you get this tart, almost a sourness mm-hmm. to it as well, and a dryness at the end. Mm-hmm. But this yeah. isn't aged at all. Um, wow. Probably, actually, it's, oh, at this aged, point... not in oak, but <clears throat> aged time. Time-wise, time this one has bad about a year on it. So this one is no, but I'm saying this isn't barrel aged. There's no, 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 there's no, no wood introduced to this at all. No. Touch it but no. almost all at stainless. the end yeah. gets gets this woody note to it yeah. in the dryness yeah. finish. And I yeah. think that's the tannins at play for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the varieties that that are introducing that. Yeah. So this one is incredibly special to us. Um, we met. We're in Downingtown. We met a gentleman who. Um, Really great guy, our friend Dr. Colley. Um, he inherited some land from his um, his father um, about a couple miles south of us uh, near the Valley Creek. And he had this wonderful vision that he, he loves wine. Um, he wanted to have a, um, a vineyard there and um, planted some varieties, this gorgeous hilltop sight overlooking the valley creek um the mist just you know it kind of hits it in the morning and then it drains off the only nice, thing missing nice in this easy. story is a bagpiper <laughs> so you know our friend dr collie he had this great vision of doing you know he, he really loves marquette as a variety um the, the grape it, it's really nice but you know being a you know a, a very you know dedicated doctor here in the in the downingtown area um <clears throat> i don't think that he probably had the time that you know he needed to really you know baby uh fight wine. the pests yeah. and the disease wine grapes that really yeah take especially with you know we get the uh lantern. spotted lantern yeah. flies yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so wine grapes are just hard in pennsylvania uh, but i don't he didn't i don't think he had like the time to really 
you know, make make them work the way he wanted them to. So I think he got annoyed with them, rightfully so, and ripped them all out seven years ago. He planted cider apples instead. Mm-hmm. Um, some lovely varieties, which we just mentioned. And then um, he, some friends of his met us at the Downingtown Farmer's Market, probably, um, let's see here, probably four years ago almost, three, three four years ago, mm-hmm. introduced us to him. And we've been, you know, working with him and, He's actually had us managing the site, so we'll do a lot of the pruning there. It's, it's a beautiful partnership because he'll do some of the spraying, you know, for, you know, um, like pests and minimal spraying, but for fungicides, stuff like that. Um, and then we'll do a lot of the pruning and we'll do the tying of the branches and we actually pick the apples. So um, it's really a lovely site that he's really welcomed us into. We're super grateful for it, but yeah. it's very close to us because, you know, we we got that orchard, we're getting that orchard experience that, you know, we weren't able to get, you know, on our own, you know, with, with our setup, you know, by our own means. So we're super grateful. This is delicious. I mean, they're all, I mean, kudos to you guys. Thank you. I get a sense from where you are at that you really spend time in, in investing in the research and the flavor. You're not just going to release something until you feel it's right. Mm -hmm. Yep. But what you're producing and what you're releasing is exceptional. Thank you. And and I, I, we don't have a stake in this, although we will. <laughs> we, we we would love you know some sort of, some sort of sponsorship. You know, if anybody wants to sponsor us, we're open to it. But realistically, and I say this out of respect for what you're doing, if you're in a place that you have access to try these ciders, get some of these ciders because it's a totally different experience, and you really should have this experience. This is this is amazing. This Thank really you. is, and, and it's all of them. It's not just this one; it's all of them, and they're all different. Yeah. They are all uniquely different. Yeah. And I love the vision that you're casting about, you know, where you're trying to educate people, and where you're trying to introduce this whole different experience. And so, I mean, you know, the idea is, and this gentleman at the Revolutionary War, and I forget his name, Mark Trudeau. Mark would probably tell you yeah. that through prohibition. The, the, the cider apples were almost destroyed. The the, the, the cider industry was all yeah. but destroyed. But for a few, you know, Rebels. apples that were saved. A few what? Rebels. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the case. Yeah. So the cider industry is fairly new. And what you're doing, this is this is very unique and new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you haven't tried this, you really should. You really, really should. Thank you. And if you're in an area that doesn't have cider... Then just call you guys up and get, get your stuff. Now you're standing up because I know there's one more you're you're bringing yeah. out. Do you have time for that? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the question is, as a listener, hopefully you're you have time. Finish doing your jog or um, your workout or taking the kids to. Well, you're not going to school right now, but uh, some areas I guess they're going to school. Maybe they'll listen to this later, and we'll be in a time where that's a thing. Yeah, going to school. I'm really enjoying. Like, all of these and just sitting out and just in, just sipping these is just these are nice sipping ciders. Yeah, thank you. You don't have to have a plan of creating a whole bunch of food, but you really could pair food very yeah. well with this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so you brought out the secret bottle. This is the. This we're isn't calling, even released yet. Yeah, we're calling this working right, title. Working title. We might not settle on this, but. You know, as with Dressler Estate, we couldn't think of a better name, so we're rolling with it for now. But uh, um, we're calling this one Rain Watcher. So this one actually has 
a lot of the same varieties and a couple more that were planted at the um, at Valley Creek Vineyard where uh, Origin, Orchard. Yeah, yeah <laughs> now yeah uh, where Origin Manor was harvested a lot of the same varieties go into this but it's a different farm probably maybe six miles to the west of there um, and uh, this gentleman who you know managed the orchard there he actually helped plant the apples at Dr. Collie's um, he planted this orchard and manages it as well he approached us in March. So this was really right like the first everything. couple weeks of, you know, um, you know, life 2.0 as we know it right now. And uh, he asked us if we wanted to take on this blend of apples that he harvested last year. Um, we were a little bit hesitant to, you know, just, you know, things were a little bit scary. We didn't know what, you know, wholesale accounts were doing. We didn't know what anything was doing. So, but we, you know, we we had a good relationship with the gentleman, um, so we took the juice on, and you know we fermented it during this you know kind of strange time that we're in. And Olga and I, we have this uh, we have this thing. We sit out, you know, uh, on our front porch, and when a storm comes, like a really big thunderstorm with rain and wind and everything, we like to have a nice cigar. We'll light it up. We'll sit out on the porch and we'll watch the storm come in. So. Interestingly enough, the storm always comes in from where this uh, this orchard is in the distance. Um, and, you know, storms can be scary. They can be violent. But they, you know, after a drought, they, rec- they, they represent, uh, you know, rain, a bounty, you know, a change. So it was very, you know, symbolic for us, you know. It was this cider was made during this time where, you know, things are kind of scary. You don't yeah. know what's happening. But... Um, you know that it's Seems kind of it all wrapped up in yeah. a in, in a name, if you will. So that's why yeah. we're calling it Rain Watcher. <laughs> rain Watcher, yeah, not Rain Peeper. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so um, you know, this is really young, so you're not yeah. going to sort of have the same experience as you would with Origin Manor. It's a little bit more um. Subtle. This I one think. is also bottle conditioned, whereas it gets this modern sparkling treatment. Whereas Origin Manor um, is force carbonated in our bright tank. Yeah. I get orange. I get like citrus notes on this, mm. um, but there's a dryness to it too. Yeah. Again, how is it that your ciders? There's no introduction to um, any kind of wood or oak to it, but they almost come out with this oakiness as a finish. Is that- I, I think that, you know, for at least these, you know, the ones with some heritage varieties in it, which would be Argent Manor and the Rain Watcher, um, they're going to have a lot of heritage apples. A lot. In both of those bottles, you're going to get a lot of the same apples, but those tannins that those apples have can give you, you know, a lot of the same type of tannin profiles that you would get from a barrel, you know. Mm-hmm. It really does, and... One of the things I, I pick up on this is, is it a muscat, kind of grape, like a, mm. something like that, which is going to have this sweet presence, mm-hmm. but it hits you and you expect more sweetness, and it, it never happens. Yeah, yeah. It, it, never, it never happens with this cider you're producing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This one's a lot of fun, and I, I imagine it's going to change a bit in the bottle over time. This one's still... You know, very young, and we also bottle condition it, so that kind of adds to that layer of 
all, you know, that are of complexity, even more so than the modern sparkling, which gets the same bottle condition treatment. I'm really excited to see what it'll, there, there's almost like a, a mustiness, but not in like, not in a pejorative sense, you know, um, kind of, it's very subtle, kind of adds to that complexity there. I'm, I'm really excited to see what that's going to do. Well, talking about seeing what that's going to do, mm-hmm. talk about the future of Dressler Estate. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's hard for us to really think, like, if we have sort of a clear idea of what our future is going to look like, because we've really, like, taken every day, you know, just one at a time since the beginning. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I think we we hinted earlier at at the idea of, you know, our long-term plan to be able to start an orchard of our own to have some land, um, you know, have a farm. Uh, so I think that's really like our biggest sort of long-term future goal. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think like in the next year, you know, we really just want to get back on our feet (laughs) to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, we, saw a crazy change with bars and restaurants. And I think navigating that um, and how we can kind of grow out of that with our mm-hmm. customers, um, you know, wholesale really changed a yeah. lot this year. Um, I really feel for, you know, our friends that own bars, restaurants, and breweries, you know. Um, yeah. It's certainly a, yeah. a difficult Yeah you know, time. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, because like you guys are doing wholesale to the public through channels. Yes. Bars and restaurants, restaurants specifically can't ship to Idaho or Iowa. Right. You know, like you're doing. Right. So they're really limited to, let's say a 10, 15 mile radius of where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this really, you know, for what you're doing, the model has changed. We talked about that on the podcast, mm-hmm. how you now have more of a wholesale mindset to the future. So if, if, if you know, a tap room was your your plan, I mean, is that still in the works to have people come out? And- I think it is eventually, um, whether, you know, it's some type of, you know, tap room only set up in a more, you know, urban center. And I say urban, you know, downtown isn't that urban, but more urban than, you know, if you have an orchard, you know, out in, you know, out a little, a little way, sort you know. Areas. Um, As you get out to Chester County or Lancaster County, yeah, a yeah. little farther out. But, you know, I, I, we're doing this, obviously, you know, I, I think if we wanted to make a fortune doing cider, we would have had a certainly a different model. We would have taken on investors, been aggressive, had a tap room from day one. You know, that's really not us. You know, Olk and I, we're, we're 100% authenticity integrity, honesty, um, you know, we, we believe in, you know, taking things, you know, kind of one day at a time, being honest with our customers, um, and doing, yeah, you know, the best representation of, of yeah. whatever we're working on. Yeah. So, so I think similarly to how our lineup, um, is every single product and every single bottle we're really passionate about, we're going to take the same approach to doing a tap room and it just hasn't been right for us yet. We also, you know, did this because we care about cider. We didn't do this to make a fortune. Um, We, we want to change people's minds about what cider can be, about what local cider can be, 
about respecting the fruit, about <clears throat> human partnerships and treating people right. And the best way to change that is through leadership um, and being an example to people. How are you going to do that the best? At a taproom, you know, having FaceTime with your customers. So um, that's certainly a part of our mindset. Yeah. C- certainly part of our goals is just yeah. Yeah. how long it's going to take us to get there. So, Well, Brian, I mean, you touched on it. You mentioned it. You took inspiration out of Robert Mondavi. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. If you were to ask Mr. Mondavi at the time when he started, mm-hmm. did he expect to get wealthy or <laughs> reach the level that he has reached? Yeah. He might not have said that was what was in his plan. Yeah. Right. But if you hold true to your values. Yeah. Values are everything. And you do what you do. Mm-hmm. There's no telling the opportunity. I mean, you're just going to build a bunch of raving fans mm-hmm. who are now going to representative of the cider industry yeah. in what you do because you want people to understand and really value yeah. what cider is yeah, and, exactly. and, and, and and give people that perspective. And instead of reaching for that bottle of wine, which you're certainly welcome to do, yeah. mm-hmm, go a couple, go, go a couple feet to the right <laughs> yeah. and, 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 or, you know, get online and, and bring home a bottle of cider tonight. Certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. I have to tell you, this has been a delight. This has been a treat. You guys are awesome. And, you know, we're grateful for the time. Dawn and I, you know, and I can't emphasize, this is our fermented adventure. Yeah. Meeting people like you that are passionate about what you do, that, that have this integrity and this intentionality of what you do. Um, so we really appreciate your time sitting down with us uh, on the podcast. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to add that just we might have missed? I don't think so. I think I think we talked about a lot, you know. I want to, you know, do you have anything? Oh, I... Probably would be remiss if I didn't mention um, a plug for the PA Cider Guild. Yes, that's um, right. We're obviously, as Pennsylvania cider producers, super passionate about the industry, mm-hmm. which we just, you know, touched on in, in more depth, um, you know, being uh, educators uh, yeah. for cider. Um, the Pennsylvania Cider Guild's mission is to really support um you know, the production and education yeah. and uh, marketing of cider in Pennsylvania. Um, and obviously we're members, um, and most of the Pennsylvania cideries are members, but there is also an enthusiast member option, um, which is really great, um, for people that are passionate about cider from a drinker's standpoint. Um, That's good to know. I wasn't aware of that. So if you're an enthusiast for cider, yes, get on the PA Cider Guild, join, support it and promote what is happening. And you guys are leading the way. You guys are part of that, you know, Hey, Let's learn more about cider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing what you're doing with the PA Cider. Yeah. Looking forward to all the great things with Dressler State. Thank you so much for your time. Thank this you. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you for including us in your fermented adventure. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank, thank you. you.